Hey friends! Well, my name is Christine Boyle and you are listening to the Invited In Podcast with Christine Boyle where disability and faith meet. So I am really pumped because I have been wanting to do this for, oh gosh, well over a year and this is just something that the Lord has put on my heart. I have loved doing public speaking here and there over the course of the last 23 years. And I knew I wanted a different kind of platform. I knew I wanted a platform that I didn't have to wait for an invitation. I didn't have to wait for a speaking engagement. I wanted a platform where I would be able to just sit in front of a microphone and just share my heart and share my experiences and hopefully encourage you, the listener. And so what else makes more sense than a podcast, especially these days when podcasts are so popular, growing like crazy. And so I'm going to be honest with you, though. I have never really even listened to a podcast. I mean, okay, maybe like one episode um, of a podcast I've listened to. So I am really new at this. I do not do well with technology. And so this has been a huge learning curve for me. And um, so there's going to be hiccups. I can promise you that there will definitely be hiccups. But I'm really excited uh, to just get to share my journey with you. But I really do want to just spend this first podcast just kind of explaining what I envision invited in being about. And and I also want to just tell you the why. Why do I feel like I have a voice in the world of disability? Why do I even feel like I have anything to share in a podcast? And let me start off by saying you can, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you get to watch any clips of this podcast um, on my YouTube channel, which is Invited In with Christine Boyle, you will see, but for those of you who aren't going to get to do that, I'm going to explain to you where I'm at. So I am in this beautiful bedroom. The walls are painted in Sherwin-Williams tantalizing teal. So it's bright. It's beautiful. It's happy. And this was my daughter's room. And my daughter, Courtney, my sweet court, she went home to Jesus um, in March of 2021. So this March will be two years that she has been gone. And, you know, we had built our house and moved into our house four years ago. And really the last two years of her life were hard. And I would say probably for sure the hardest medically of her life. And so her room was done, but not fully done. I mean, it was cute and and had some of her things in it. But after she passed away, we really felt like we wanted to kind of finish her room. And not in a weird way. It's not like a Courtney shrine or (laughs) anything like that. But we really said like, okay, if this is going to be like a spare room now, we want it to be a happy Disney. We're big Disney people. A happy Disney Courtney room. And so, you know, as as I sit here, you know, this isn't her bed. She had a hospital style bed. We got a day bed instead. But but, you know, this has like her blanket on here that has a bunch of her running t-shirts because she was a runner. My husband would push her in races. And, you know, I'm looking in front of me and I see 
the Disney castle, the Lego set of the Disney castle. My husband built that for her during the last seven weeks of her life when she was in the hospital. He would work on it in the evenings after our son went to bed. And behind me are her little running shoes um, that she wore and there's scripture on her walls and there's a stuffed rhino head, a fake rhino head, not a real rhino head, <laughs> a rhino head on her wall because she loved rhinos and she made friends everywhere she went. And the zookeeper at our Cleveland Zoo who takes care of the rhinos became a friend of hers and she had a lot of behind the scenes interactions with rhinos and so rhinos are important to her. But anyways, as I was like really getting close to like, I'm actually starting this podcast, I realized like, Lord, why? Why did I feel so compelled that this room had to be done and like finished? And I realized this is the perfect place for me to sit and record my podcasts because without Courtney, my journey would look entirely different. My life would look entirely different. I wouldn't have a passion for the disability community. I wouldn't have the experiences I have with disability if it wasn't for her. So this seems perfect to me to get to sit here. Yesterday was her 23rd birthday, December 4th, and we celebrated and remembered and grieved. And you're just going to hear a lot about her, but... <clears throat> I also will get to just share so much about my life and my journey. But this is what I've experienced to just kind of give a summary of why invited in, why that title. And I think there's a lot of different meanings to it. But the reason I landed on that the most was because I think there's a lot of, I know, <laughs> let me rephrase that. I know there is a lot of negative connotation when it comes to disability. Most people want nothing to do with it, hope it never happens to them, would hope they never have a kid with a disability. There's a lot of negativity to it, right? And yet, I guess my experience these last 23 years has been that, yes, it is crazy, crazy hard. And we're going to talk a lot about that because I want this podcast to be so real. But I also want to say that like Christ uses disability, uses trials, uses suffering, uses hard things in our lives to bring us to him. I mean, it, it might sound a little cliche. It might sound superficial, and I and I hope it doesn't. And and as you hear more of my story, I think you'll come to understand that really nothing I'm going to say is going to be like superficial or sugarcoating things. I'm a very transparent, real, honest person, and I don't feel like ever being fake really accomplishes anything. And so. I think he invites us in and that's where really that title came from. I think I think we have a choice that disability can be hard and depressing and debilitating and suck the life out of us. It could be the worst thing that has ever happened to us or I believe when we accept that invitation to follow him on this journey it can become beautiful and we can find him in ways 
we never would have found him without disability, without suffering, without trials, without hardships. And so I think it really is an invitation to follow him. I think it's, I kind of just have this picture in my head of him like going, like, come follow me. Like, I'm going to show you the beauty of this. I'm going to show you that there's purpose in this. I'm going to show you that you can find me on this really hard journey. And I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't know how to do a second of this without the hope of Christ. And so I just really want to extend that to people. I want to extend it to people who know Jesus, who are followers of Christ. I want to extend it to people who might land on this podcast and go, I don't have faith. I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm curious. And it's not really going to be just about disability. I think that when you talk about disability, I think that can apply to so many different areas of life. Just honestly, just hard things. Those hard things in life that make you question who God is, that make you want to understand him more, that make you, you know, either push him away or draw near to him. And so I think even if disability isn't part of your story, I really do believe as we just talk about different experiences, have different guests on the show, I think it's going to be educational, but I also think it's going to be just enlightening to look into scripture and to just ask tough questions and to really look to find who Christ is. When life is hard, when life looks completely different than maybe we ever would have chosen for ourselves. So that is where that title came in. But I also, from a personal level, I want to invite you into my life. I want to invite you into the different things I've experienced the last 23 years, and even more than 23 years. And I'm going to kind of touch on that for um, a couple minutes today. But it's, it's just an invitation. It's an invitation to say, come find community, find a place of rest, find a place of encouragement. Know that you're not alone. Again, even if, even if there's a wide array of where we're at in our faith journeys, to just know that there is just a commonality in anybody who is walking the road of disability, whether you're a parent, a caregiver, a person with a disability. I think that there's just community there and encouragement to be found in that. And so so this is also just an invitation to you to find a place where, yeah, you can feel loved and encouraged. And I hope that that's what that gives you. And my heart in this is I want to serve you and I want to use my experiences, the things that the Lord's taught me, the things that I've kind of problem solved my way through and get to share that with you. And I want it to help you. And I guess... You know, a lot of this also stems from, I just get asked a lot about a whole <laughs> wide, you know, range of, of things that are related to disability. I feel like I'm always getting phone calls or people saying, oh my gosh, I you helped me so much. Or can I have my friend call you? They need help with this. Whether it's things with Medicaid or how to go to Disney World or, you know, IEP meetings. You just, you learn quickly when you're doing this a long time. And, and I'll be honest, I'm, 
I am a joyful, happy, encouraging person. That's one of the things I love most is to encourage people. And I love relationships. I love friendships. I love being in community with people. I will also say I am feisty. (laughs) I am tenacious. I don't take no as an answer really well. I have learned that not much comes easy on the road of disability, being a caregiver, And I've realized that this is a very marginalized population. And there's a reason that the Bible tells us to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves and to care for the oppressed. And I believe it's because this is a population that's always going to be high risk, that's always going to be at risk of being discriminated and being mistreated and being overlooked. And, and so again, 23 years ago, I would not have described myself as tenacious or as an advocate, but these are things that through life experiences you grow into and, and God has made me and, and I'll be the first to admit, sometimes it could be my biggest weakness and the Lord is, you know, always working in me and teaching me and changing me. And sometimes it can be my biggest strength. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the things I've been able to accomplish and ways I've been able to protect my kids and my dad and just people in my life who I love who have disabilities. And so, so yeah, so that's just a little bit about the why. Why invited in with Christine Boyle where disability and faith meet. And one other thing I will add to that is my experience has shown me that you can find Christ in every detail. When we don't see him, it's because we're missing it. It's not because he's not there. And I want to encourage you with that. I want to I want you to hear that and to stop and go like, wow, he's in everything. He really is. He is in everything. And so I really am excited to say that like we're just going to talk about so many different things. Like like I said, we are a really big Disney family, and there's a, a lot of reasons related to disability that, that make us that way, that make us love Disney World so much. And, and yet I believe there is a faith, a spiritual side to that. I, and I want to share that. I want to I want to just show how Christ is in every detail, how we can seek him and find him in every single detail of our lives and on these journeys. And so, so I'm pumped. I hope you're pumped. And I'm just really excited. I've prayed for each one of you that are listening or watching this on YouTube. I, I'm just excited. I'm excited to have this community. I'm excited to get to share. And I'm thankful for this opportunity from the Lord. And I'm thankful for people who've invested in me. And because like I said, I know nothing about technology. And so I've had a lot of really kind friends who have taught me and helped me and told me what equipment to buy. And, you know, this microphone, like, what do I buy? I have no clue. So, yeah. So anyways, let me move on. And I just want to share with you now kind of my why. Why do I feel like I have a voice in the world of disability? So let me just share a little bit of my background. So 
You know, a lot of times when I tell my story, when I publicly speak somewhere, and that is one of my passions, I love sharing. I love just getting to encourage people with the word of God. I love getting to just share how faithful God has been in my life and on this journey. But a lot of times I started off with kind of, here's who I was as like a teenager. And then, you know, I had my daughter and she was born with disabilities. But I actually, the more I think about my life, I want to go back many, many, many years before that than I typically do. And I want to just share something really personal, but something that has so defined who I am. So my dad, who I love so much, (laughs) who I actually take care of, I'm his guardian. My dad is schizophrenic and he has been schizophrenic pretty much most of my life. So I'm 41. And I believe I was about a year old when he received, or actually I shouldn't even say received a schizophrenia diagnosis because it didn't happen that quick, but I'm kind of at the onset of his schizophrenia. And sometimes I don't even realize how much that has defined who I am, why I am the way I am, (laughs) good and bad. But this has been my life. This is all I have ever known about my dad. And so really, my journey with disability began when I was a year old. And just a little background about that. I know you. we hear all the time about mental health and the stigmas that come with mental health and trying to break down those stigmas. And I think this is why I have not a hard time sharing about this, but I think this is why, like, This is the first time in kind of a public setting, let's say, that I've really just sat here and said, like, my dad's schizophrenic and has been like my whole life. I mean, my friends, family, I mean, people in my life know this. I mean, it's 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 such a, like I said, defining part of my life and impacts my life on a daily basis. And so, again, people who I have a relationship with know this. It's not a secret, but but I think growing up, there was that stigma and it was, oh, just say that your dad's retired instead of saying he's disabled, like he lives on disability, right? He can't work. And, and I remember it really wasn't until like high school for me that I, I verbalized to just maybe a couple people that my dad had a mental health issue. And, um, and then when I was 18, um, that's really when I started to take care of him. That's really when I became active in his care. And, but growing up, he didn't work because he couldn't. He has a very severe case of schizophrenia. I can vividly remember being a kid and I was really close with him though. And that's what's amazing is that like, even though my parents ended up divorced because of his schizophrenia, I spent a lot of time with him. I would sleep over his house on the weekends. He was such an engaged, fun, 
just a really good dad, always a really, really good dad. And so we did spend a ton of time together. And, you know, if I came home from school sick because my mom was a single mom for a while and she worked full time, like who would pick me up from school if I was sick? Well, it was my dad. And then I'd go to his house. Or like I said, I would sleep over his house on the weekends and he just spoiled me like crazy. And and so I just have so many great memories with him. And and so even with his schizophrenia, he played such a profound role in my life. And again, at 18, for me, is when I really started um, going to all of his doctor's appointments, really managing his, his care. And then it was about... I think probably about maybe 12 years ago that I became his legal guardian through like probate court. So, so yeah, so as you can imagine, and and I'll probably talk more about that, that has just been a huge part of my story and my life. And it is still, you know, to, to be a caretaker for him, to have to think about him and everything I do when I travel on a daily basis. We talk, you know, I do his grocery shopping. I fill his pillbox. I, you know, again, take him to all his appointments. And it's, a, I mean, you know, I was getting ready to say it's a joy. It's an honor. And it is. It's really hard. I would say mental health is really hard for those of you who maybe are dealing with that either as a caregiver or personally. It's really hard and it's very different than the story I'm going to share with you with my kids. But it's definitely just, again, a huge part of my life and has impacted me. But I think some of my... uh maybe compassion that I probably didn't realize I even had until my kids, until Courtney came into my life, probably really did stem from growing up with a father who had a disability. And I guess my point too of talking about like the whole stigma piece is like, like I can, I can verbalize now and say, my dad has a disability. My dad is schizophrenic. This is his diagnosis. And I know that that doesn't make him less of a person. I, I I want to have the mindset that this is no different than saying this person has, you know, cerebral palsy or this person is, you know, has cancer. I want to be transparent about that because I don't want to add to that stigma. I don't want to make up lies like I was kind of taught to do as a kid or programmed to do as a kid and almost have that shame piece with that. So so this is a big step for me to, like I said, say that. And it's not that I've really avoided it. It's just, I think it's been such a big part of my life and from so early on that sometimes I forget like, wow, no, like my my journey with disability really did start off when I was like a year old. So again, I'll talk more about that and mental health and my dad and what that looks like, you know, in the times to come. But just to share with you how my journey started in the world of disability with my daughter. So I was 18 years old and I was a week away from leaving for college and I found out that I was pregnant with her and, or pregnant, I should say, didn't know it was a her at the time. And I was raised in a churched home. Like I was a churched kid. I went to church every Sunday. I was a part of my youth group. I went to church camp. I would go to youth group retreats, things like that. Church was very much a part of my life, but I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. And 
what do I mean by that? Because I don't want to be churchy um, here. So what I mean by that is I knew all the things, I did all the things, but I didn't have an acceptance of my own, of what Christ had done for me. I hadn't been going in one direction and then said like, I met Christ and I turned the other direction. So there wasn't true repentance in my life. It was a lot of legalistic Christianity too. I would say that like I was, I was taught like you can't listen to this kind of music if you're a Christian. You can't date these kind of guys if you're a Christian. So as probably a lot of high schoolers would be, I was like, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> and so I was like, I like boys. I like cheerleading. I like partying. And so I really didn't want any part of Christianity. So I kind of did what I had to do. But yet I would go through kind of spurts where maybe I would be at a youth retreat and I would hear a message from the speaker and and it would it would impact my heart like i would feel the holy spirit like tugging on my heart but it was never enough for it to be lasting it was never enough to create lasting change in my life but when i look back and think about some of those situations some of those events i definitely realize like the Lord was pursuing me for sure. The Holy Spirit was tugging on my heart for sure. But here I am um, getting ready to go to college in Kentucky and find out that I'm pregnant. <clears throat> and again, it's a week away from leaving for college. My cousin who is, there's four months between us. And so we grew up together. She was going to be my roommate in Kentucky at this college. And I really felt like I had no other choice but to make an appointment for an abortion. And so I was 18, like I said, and so I didn't have to tell anybody I was pregnant, but I did tell my mom that I was pregnant and told her I had made an appointment for an abortion. And, you know, being a church kid, I remember being at church camp one summer and I remember taking like a little breakout session class on abortion. And so I had really, really deep convictions about abortion. And just to kind of be really upfront, we are going to have conversations about this on Invited In. We're going to, I'm a very pro-life person because of the experience I'm about to describe to you and the way the Lord has changed my heart. And so these are topics that we will talk about at times so I make this appointment for this abortion and because of the things I knew, because of the way, even though I wasn't necessarily a follower of Christ, the way God still works, like I did have deep convictions. I knew this wasn't the right answer for my life and in that moment, but I felt that hopeless. I felt that um, I was that distraught. I I didn't feel there was any other option, anything else I could do but have an abortion. And so, but it, but it, it impacted me tremendously. I mean, I was absolutely distraught over the fact that I'm going to have an abortion. And so, you know, the night before I had that, was going to have that abortion, I had really just cried out to God in prayer and said to him, Lord, keep me from doing this because I can't keep myself from doing this. 
And to this day, it was one of the most desperate prayers I've ever prayed because it was me admitting to him just how strong my selfishness is, just how strong my flesh is, like literally begging the God of the universe to show up and do something and keep me from doing this and admitting to him, I can't, even though this isn't what I want to do, even though I know this isn't his will, I was admitting to God, I didn't have the strength in me. I could not keep myself from doing this. And so that was my prayer to him that night before the abortion. And so the next day I go to the abortion clinic. I mean, even driving there, I was, I just remember just, just crying and just being so sad and so distraught and then getting to the abortion clinic and sitting there and just crying in the waiting room and and just looking around at all the women who are in there. And, you know, in the state of Ohio, 23 years ago, it was required that you watch a video on abortion so that you understand what it is. And then also to talk to the psychologist who would kind of deem you mentally stable enough to have the abortion. And then the next step after that was the ultrasound and then the procedure itself. So I am at the abortion clinic and I watched the video on abortion. And honestly, I really just don't think I stopped crying the entire time I was in that clinic. And, and then I moved on to the next step of talking to the psychologist. And I remember saying to her, I don't want to do this. And I'm just sobbing at this point. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, but I have to do this. I don't have a choice. And she deemed me mentally stable enough to move on to that next step. (laughs) And I'm going to keep things a little vague about my conversation the night before with my mom. But I will say this in a matter of 24 hours, less than 24 hours, two trusted adults in my life who could have given me guidance to take more time, think things through. There goes my light. It just went off. (laughs) Okay, sorry. For those of you watching on YouTube, my light just went off. But it's okay. We'll keep moving on here. See, there's that technology piece. So two trusted adults had failed me. And that might sound really strong. (laughs) And it is a strong statement. But I'm going to be honest with you. It's true. It's truth. And I work in ministry with students. And I'll kind of get to that too. But but life is hard for kids. Life is hard for kids. And they're desperate for answers. They're desperate for leadership in their lives. They're desperate for trusted adults to come alongside them love them right where they're at to protect them. Like kids are desperate for protection and for boundaries. And I I experienced two adults who should have protected me, who should have helped me that didn't. And so that's the reality. I mean, and, and and this is part of my abortion story is why do women end up there? Why do women end up having abortions a lot of times? It's because people fail them. It's because of coercion. It's because they really aren't given options, other options. 
They're not given hope. They're not told there's other ways to figure this out. And so that is a real side of many abortion stories like mine. And so as hard as that might be for people to hear, that is complete truth that two adults in less than 24 hours failed me as a kid, basically. Um, so as you can imagine, I'm, you know, moved on to this next step. I am told I am stable enough to have this and do this. I am not given any other option. I am not given any other encouragement or hope or anything. I am basically told, yes, this is what you need to do. And so my next step was the ultrasound. And I'm laying on that ultrasound table and I'm still crying. And the technician's doing the ultrasound and she starts kind of having this puzzled look on her face. And then she ends up looking at me and she goes, wow, you're really far along. And she said, ended up saying, you're six months pregnant. You cannot have this abortion today. And I know when I share this publicly, I, there's usually a <gasps> from the audience. And, and here's what I want to say to you guys. I went to that abortion clinic. Nobody in my life knew I was pregnant other than my mother. It's because I didn't feel six months pregnant. I didn't look six months pregnant. So I knew in that moment, the God of the universe had just answered my prayer and had just shown up. Think again about what my prayer was that night before. Lord, keep me from doing this because I can't keep myself from doing this. And believe me, nobody in that abortion clinic was going to keep me from doing this either, right? And so the God of the universe showed up and intervened on my behalf and on my daughter's behalf. And I knew it. I knew it. You you might hear this and you might think like, you might go the route of, oh my gosh, how did she not know she was six months pregnant? Here's the thing. Like, I knew in that moment, God had just done a complete miracle. Whether the miracle was, I didn't know and I didn't feel six months pregnant. I didn't look six months pregnant and I ended up there and that is where I met Christ. I don't, I don't know what the miracle was. All I know is he answered my cry for help, that he intervened. And I just remember all that crying I had done that day, all that sobbing I had done that day. The distress, just the, the, the mourning, the sorrow, all of that turned to instant relief because I knew God had just answered my prayer. And I remember laying on that table and verbalizing to that technician. I said, God did not want me to do this. And again, I'm, I'm thinking of all the things that, that Christians who hear my story sometimes may think. Like, of course, God didn't want you to do this. But you know what, you guys? This is where if we want to be people who say we are for life and we are pro-life and we believe God is the author of life, then you have to enter into 
how do women end up there? What is their mindset, right? I, I mean, I can't even put into words everything that had gone through my mind as to why I would go into that clinic and have that abortion. And so God made it abundantly clear that day I was not supposed to do that. He met me right where I was at. And I want you to just take a moment because very few people in this world can probably say, I had a moment like this, right? Because I know it's a crazy story. But I want you to stop for a second and just ask yourself, where has God met me right where I'm at in my life? Where did I meet Christ? Where did he show up? Or maybe it's right now in your life that you're saying, I need God to show up in my life. I need him to show up in my life and meet me right where I'm at. And, and the thing I want to promise you as someone who has been walking with the Lord for 23 years and has watched this over and over and over again in my life, his faithfulness and his showing up, right, is that you don't have to have it all together. If the world or the church has told you that, it is a lie. You do not have to have it all together for Jesus to meet you, for Jesus to show up. My prayer was, Lord, I can't do this. I can't keep myself from killing my baby. I need you to show up and do a miracle. And where did God show up? That's what's crazy, you guys. Where did he show up? He showed up in an abortion clinic, the place that believers, that Christians would, would think is furthest from God, right? But no, like Jesus showed up. He came to me and met me right where I was at and intervened in my life. That is how good he is. That is how gracious he is. That is how near he is. That is how how much he sees us, how much he knows us, right? I I could have I could have actually met Christ and and followed him at one of those youth group events where the Holy Spirit was tugging on my heart. And I don't know whether it was that man, I was that far removed or 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 just that, you know, strong-willed but this is, this is where God chose for me to, to find him. This is how low God allowed me to get to, to be able to cry out to him and say, Lord, I need you. Because after I was told that I was six months pregnant and I was going to have a baby girl, you know, I knew I was kind of off the hook with my mom because I was so far along in my pregnancy. And I had realized I had just experienced the glory of God. I had just experienced the God of the universe entering into my story, coming to, <laughs> coming to preterm Cleveland in Cleveland, Ohio, right, to save me. And so in that abortion clinic that day, I finally surrendered my life to Christ. And you know what I said to him? Again, you don't have to be put together. Anyone who tells you that, it's a lie, I promise. My prayer to God that day was, Lord, I, my life is so screwed up and I need you. 
And that is how I came into a relationship with Jesus, right? It wasn't baptism. It wasn't a prayer for salvation. It wasn't this beautiful, tidy little thing that we like to sometimes do with Christianity. No, it was, it was, Lord, my life is screwed up because guess what? I am going to be walking out of this abortion clinic, six months pregnant, 18, having to go home and tell the father of the baby who's no longer my boyfriend, you're going to be a dad in three months. I had to go home and tell my cousin who was going to be my roommate at college, I'm not leaving with you to go to Kentucky. I had to walk back into my church at some point and tell people why I wasn't at college and that I was going to have a baby. And so believe me when I say there was a lot of things that were screwed up (laughs) that led to me being an 18-year-old mom and being in that abortion clinic, but there was so much I still had to walk out of that clinic and face. And so months later, I gave birth to my daughter, Courtney, and she was born with needs from the second she came out of me. But I want to back up for a second and just quickly share with you one of the ways that God just continued to meet me where I was at. About three days after I left that abortion clinic, a friend of mine from high school came to my home and he said, Christine, my girlfriend's mom is starting a support group for teen moms in Cleveland. Would you meet her? And I was like, a Christian support group. And I said, yeah, I would love to meet her. And so a couple days after that, I'm sitting in a restaurant and I meet this woman named Betsy. And Betsy had shared with me how she had been a teen mom herself. And then she ended up marrying someone who wasn't the father of that child. They went on to have seven more kids together. And so here she is, a mom of eight. She works in ministry, was just um, starting this ministry for teen moms in Cleveland. And and she basically sat with me and she just told me, like, I'm going to love you. I'm going to walk alongside you. I'm going to pour into your life. And even at that point, some of my family was still like trying to pressure me, like, put the baby up for adoption. You could still go away to college and all of that. And And she looked at me that day and I remember her just saying, did you ever think God just wants you to have this baby? (laughs) And I'll be honest with you guys, like it felt wrong. It felt wrong to even think that or even to allow myself to think that. But as she said those words, I also felt like a thousand pounds lifted off my shoulders. And also in that time with her, she sat with me And guys, she just declared the word of God over my life. I know Jeremiah 29, 11 is a scripture that, you know, we see all over Hobby Lobby and people's walls and this and that. But but 23 years ago, even being a church kid, I had never heard that scripture. And so what did she say to me that day? She said, for I know the plans I have for Christine, declares the Lord, plans to prosper her and not to harm her, plans to give her a hope and a future. And, and what did I think I was going to be losing as an 18-year-old mom? And again, this is even before the disability piece, you guys. What did I think I was going to be losing? My future and hope, right? I thought my life was over and I thought I was losing everything by not being able to leave home and go to college, right? 
And here's this woman saying to me, no, no, no. This is what God says. This is what God, the same God that met you in that abortion clinic, the same God who showed up and said, I'm going to save you and I'm going to save your daughter that day. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for your life. And I believed it. I don't know why. I don't know why. But but this is how much the Holy Spirit and the Lord was just working in my life at that time. And I think it's just how desperate I was that I was just like, okay, I believe this. I believe that God has good for me. And so this turned into years and years of mentorship, years and years of Betsy just coming alongside me, loving me. She was there the day my daughter was born. She was there the day at the Cleveland Clinic that my daughter died. And, and you're talking, yeah, 20, 20 some years later, we're still friends. Little did I know at that time that this was Young Life's, for those of you who know the ministry, Young Life, this was Young Life's ministry to teen moms called Young Lives Getting Started in Cleveland, Ohio. I was their first teen mom 23 years ago. And I'll end up talking more about Young Life. I work for them now. I work in their disability ministry, Capernaum. Um, I've been on staff with them for six years. So my heart and my passion is discipleship and kids with disabilities. And, and like I said a couple moments ago, just about how desperate kids are to have trusted adults in their lives. I'm married to a teacher who pours into his students constantly and sees just how much kids need trusted adults in their lives, right? And so again, I'll share more about Young Life, and but, but really that ministry impacted my life from the time I was pregnant with Courtney. So I believe in it with all my heart. But fast forward, couple months later, I give birth to my daughter again, who was born with challenges from the moment she came out of me, fought for her life, spent her first month and a half in the hospital. And, and I'm going to share so many things about her, <laughs> so many of the things God taught me, because not only then was I 18 and alone, many people were walking out of my life during those few months from when I met Christ found out I was pregnant to when I had her. My dad sat in the NICU with me every single day. Faithful, faithful papa. <laughs> and he was so good to her and loved her so much and just poured into her life so much. But I'm going to have so many stories and experiences to share with you about Courtney and about her life and the things that God used to teach me. But what I wanted to start with today after just kind of sharing my story of Courtney was one of the first things that God taught me as a brand new Christian. I was given a devotional by a woman. I'll be honest with you. I don't even remember who the woman was. I'm pretty sure she was a friend with Betsy, the lady who mentored me. But it was a K. Arthur, for those of you who know the teacher, um, K. Arthur. It was a devotional by K. Arthur. And I even have written in the devotional, the first devotional I did as a new Christian in December of 2000. And this was after Court was born, you know, and I'd come home late every night from the ICU because there wasn't roaming in at the time. So much has changed <laughs> for the good. But one of the first things I learned from K. Arthur's teachings was just the sovereignty of God. And... This is such a weird topic in the world of disability, in the church, 
and it 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 boggles my mind I'll be honest with you the Bible clearly teaches us that God is over all things over all things right and yet sometimes when it comes to these really hard things when it comes to disability when it comes to suffering, when it comes to tragedies, sometimes we're a little hesitant to say like God is over it all. And there's a difference in God being over something than God being like, yay, right? I want to be clear about that. Because there are so many things that Jesus showed us when he walked the earth that he wanted to fix, that he wanted to change. There are so many things that happen in this world that are just sinful and God might be allowing it, (laughs) but does he love it? Absolutely not, right? But, you know, even in the book of Exodus, um, Exodus 4, you know, God says, and he's talking to Moses at the time, right? Because he had a speech impediment. You know, who has made man's mouth? And he says, it was me. It's me, the Lord. Who has made a mute? Who has made someone seeing? Who has made somebody blind? It's me. It's God. And so what I want to just share with you is that like God doesn't need us to protect him (laughs) from the hard questions. Because when you realize that God is sovereign over every detail of your life, over every hard thing, it is going to make you ask hard questions. And that's okay. If no one's told you that that's okay, I'm telling you that today. That's okay. And that's needed. Because we're never really asked to blindly follow God. He gives us his word. (laughs) He gives us Jesus to show us who he is. And so we we can come to an understanding of, Yeah, there's going to be things that require faith that we can't see. But man, we have this whole book and we have the person of Christ that shows us who God is and who he is towards suffering and yet how he is above it all, above disability, above it all. And here's God himself declaring, I am the one who makes the deaf deaf, the mute mute, the blind blind, right? It's God saying that. And so I remember one time going to a Christian counselor. I went once and I never went back because she actually questioned the sovereignty of God. (laughs) And I was like, in my head, I'm thinking, if you take away the sovereignty of God, I got nothing. I have nothing. Everything, you have ripped everything out from underneath me. Because I can promise you when Courtney was brand new born and I'm sitting alone in my apartment night after night trying to process that I have this child that's going to have lifelong needs and every day I was finding out something new that was like wrong with her. I mean, it brought me so much peace to know and understand God is above it all right? He is 
Nobody can thwart his plans. The Bible tells us he is above it all. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, and and you're going to hear me talk about this a lot because I prayed this over court so many times before she died, was in Luke 12, 7. It tells us that God knows the number of hairs on our heads. Psalm 139 tells us that every day ordained of our lives, every day of our lives is ordained before one of them comes to be. And so over and over and over again, we see in scripture that God ordains these things. I mean, we see in, in John 9, we see the man who's born blind. And this is one of my favorite stories where the disciples are asking him, who sinned? This man who's been born blind and was probably in his early 20s or his parents. And Jesus so confidently says, neither, but this happened so the glory of God could be seen in him. And this man lived with blindness for, you know, again, probably we know he was an adult, so well over 18 years blind so that the glory of God could be seen because Jesus ended up healing him. And Jesus needed people that he could do miracles on, right, to show his power so he could convince people he was God. And so I just want to reassure you that God is in control of everything in your life. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows every struggle you're having. He knows the abortion clinic you walked into. He knows the doubts and the fears you have. And the beautiful thing is that he will meet you right where you are at. He sees you. He knows you. In Psalm 147, it says that he determines the number of stars and he calls them by name. And I want you to just think for a moment, if he calls you by name, if he calls the stars by name, if he numbers them, how much more does he know us? And that scripture about knowing the number of hairs on our head, Jesus is is declaring that to convey to people like, if, if I know about the birds, <laughs> by all means, I know everything about you. How much more valuable are you? How much more valuable is that person that you love that has a disability that you're caring for? Or how much more valuable are you who has a disability or has schizophrenia or is going through a horrific divorce or feels alone and depressed, Right? all those hard things in our lives. And one of the things Kay Arthur taught in this devotional that, like I said, I I was reading as a brand new Christian was she said a pastor taught her when she was a new Christian by using a ring. And so again, if you're going to see this on YouTube, I have a ring in my hand. And the pastor told her like, I'm going to put that ring in my hand and, and make a fist around it. She said, and he explained to her, this is you in God's hand now, in his palm of his hand. You are protected. Nobody could see you. Nobody could touch you. Nothing can come into your life unless God allows it. And so I'm holding this ring tight in my hand. I can't see it. I can feel it, but I can't see it. Nobody else could see it. Nobody could touch it. Only if I allowed it, right? And that's us. That's us in in God's will, in God's plan, in God, just in our lives in general, that that God is is over it all. 
And truly, this is one of the things that brought me the most comfort is that what what seemed chaotic in my life, and, and I'll be honest, these last 23 years, there have been a lot of chaotic times, <laughs> a lot. None of it's chaos. That's the crazy part. None of it's chaos because he's in control and he's above it all. Now, the challenging piece with that is that if we separate his sovereignty, the fact that he rules over everything, if we separate that from his goodness, from his grace, from his love, it can make you hate him. And I've gone through that too, where there's times where I'm like, Lord, like, I know you know. I know you know this. I know you can fix this. I know you're sovereign. And it has sometimes made me really angry at him, right? And so we have to keep the sovereignty of God connected to the heart of God, that he loves us with an everlasting love, that he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. Again, looking back to my story of like, yeah, he's sovereign over everything, but man, he he met me right where I was at in my weakness, in my sin. He rescued me. He saved me. He cared for me. He was faithful in my life. And so I can never separate that not only is he completely faithful, but he is good and he is gracious, and he is kind, and he cares for each one of us. And really, as many of you know who know Christ, he died for us. He loves us with that kind of love that he would die for us. And so we, again, can never separate the sovereignty of God that he's over everything, rules over everything from his great love for us, knowing and believing that everything that comes into our lives is for our good and can be used for good for those who love him, who for those who follow him and are called according to his purpose. And so I share that with you really just so you can hear if you've never heard that God is over everything. Because these things in our lives on this road of disability, on this journey of disability, are hard. They're hard with Jesus. <laughs> Truly, right? They're hard with Jesus. But you take Jesus out of the equation. You take that hope, that purpose, that sovereignty of his out of the equation. And like I said earlier, it's like we've got nothing. We've got nothing if we take him out of the equation. Nothing happens by chance. Praise God. I mean, and he can handle the tough questions. He can handle the wise, right? He's God. He can handle you saying, I know you're sovereign. You allowed this. Why? And the truth is, is that I really believe this. Even if Jesus sat us down and said, here's the why, it's not always going to be enough for us. More than anything, our hearts just want to know he is with us, he has not forgotten us, and that we are not alone, and that he sees, and that he knows, and that he cares. 
because anyone who has been walking with the Lord for some time knows like this side of heaven is going to be hard. That's not going to change. And the beautiful thing is we get invited in by Christ to do it with him or we can make the choice to do it without him. And for me, (laughs) I can promise you, I can't even imagine if I had done this without him for even a second. Really. So know, my friend, know that you are in his hand, that you are protected by him, that anything that comes into your life has to be allowed by a God who loves you, who sees you, who knows the number of hairs on your head, who died for you. He invites us in to follow him on this road of disability, trials, hardship. He promises to use it for good if we let him, which is amazing. (laughs) So I hope that's an encouragement to you. I'll end up spending more time. I want to share about my son, Kevin. Kevin also has disabilities, is adopted from El Salvador, and I'll be sharing our adoption story in my next podcast. So stay tuned and I hope that you'll follow along for this journey. Again, my friend, the number of hairs on your head are known by our great God. He is with us. He invites us and I invite you to be on this journey with me to seek him and find him and just to know his heart on this journey where disability and faith meet. So thank you for joining me for my first podcast. I did it. It's so exciting. You all are awesome. Thank you for your love, your support, and can't wait to continue on this journey with you. Thanks, guys. Take care. Follow and subscribe to the Invited In podcast and visit www.christineboyle.com.